Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. I'm Ben Trueblood, and with me is producer Nathan. What's up? How's it going? Good, man. You are just, you are freshly back from camp training. I am. It was fantastic. Good. I know those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while, uh, you know that one of Nathan's great loves, aside from refing, What's right? is, is, is camp work. And so uh, he is riding off of the camp high right now, I'm sure. Good group this year, Nathan. Good group of staffers. Yeah, great group. Uh, great group all around. It's always fun to spend some time there. A L- little bit of tech, a little bit of how do you, you know, run a production element kind of stuff. So it's always a fun yeah. time. It is, man, for those of you. So the student ministry connection uh, that I'll make really quickly is there are students in your ministry who would love to run sound lights, do slides in the back of the room for you. Student pastors, they would love to take that off your plate and something like camp as they graduate from your ministry and go on to college. We're always looking for people that have experience in that stuff. And so finding ways that those students can uh, use their skills, talents, abilities to serve in the ministry Man, those are things that when developed as a teenager, they'll have a chance to use them potentially for the rest of their lives. I mean, running yep. a soundboard, Nathan, that's what you're doing now, yeah. running sound for church sometimes on Sundays and doing the camp stuff. So uh, don't overlook the techie kids. There's a place there's a place for them them to serve, too. That's right. Well, uh, we are super stoked to have our guest with us today. Uh, Mark Dance has served as a lead pastor and planter for 27 years before launching Lifeway Pastors, the Care for Pastors Network, and Oklahoma's Ministry Pipeline. He currently serves as the Director of Pastoral Wellness for Guidestone Financial Resources. Mark earned a BBA from Howard Payne University and MDiv from Southwestern and a DMIN from Southern and he speaks at conferences, seminaries, and regularly contributes to books, blogs, and magazines. He and his wife, Janet, have two grown children, live in Dallas, Texas. They enjoy backpacking, leading ministry marriage conferences together across North America. Avid outdoorsman, I will add on to the end of that. Mark, we're super grateful that you're given the time uh, to pour into us and to our audience today. Thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Happy to be here, Ben. So let's... uh Let's dive right in. So you have a new book uh, that's coming out on June 6th. So if you're listening to the podcast on the actual release day, which I know some of you do, uh, if you hit subscribe, you'll get notified when that happens. So you can listen to it on the day. Uh, but you have a new book coming out called Start to Finish, The Pastor's Guide to Leading a Resilient Life and Ministry. I think this is a great thing for student pastors. People that listen to the podcast know we love to talk about the health of the pastor, that that is primary, that that Jesus desires to have a relationship with a person uh, long before they work for him as a pastor, that it's the personal relationship thing that matters. The subtitle to this really strikes me with the, the, word, the use of the word resilient, pastor's guide to leading a resilient life and ministry. I'd love to hear how you guys landed on the resilient side of this and what you were thinking as you, uh, as you began to put pen to paper for, for this work. 
Yeah, you know, words matter, and this is a this is a word that uh, often comes up in in scripture in terms like endurance and persistence. You know, the ability to bounce back, because we all know when we say yes to God's call to ministry that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have some failures, right? We're gonna mess up, yeah. and so we want to cheer them on. That's what this podcast has been about. You've been doing this for years, cheering them on, cheering on the cheerleaders, you know, these student pastors that get them in the most formative years of their call. And I'm really excited to be on this podcast because honestly, I wrote this book for the guides, you know, to use as, as, uh, as you well know, most, most of us surrendered to the ministry as teenagers. You know, wrote a blank check to God. I'll go wherever you say. <laughs> right. I'll do whatever you want. And I don't know where that is, and and they won't know for several years. But we all basically have the same job description, right? In First Timothy three, Titus one. So this this is an extension of that s- spirit of we want to help you finish. And a good start is connected, you know, to a good finish. And and so the resilience is that that ability to bounce back to persist and during, you know, during a good 40, 50, 60 year stretch of, of, of marathon ministry. Yeah, man, you've been doing it 27 years and counting. What are, what are some of the bounce back moments that, that you've experienced along the way that said to you, man, I need, I need to teach this as a lesson through, through writing to as many people as will listen. You know, the, the first time I realized I had limitations and that the, uh, what was in my first pastorate, you know, um, the, all these polls, both Lifeway research and Barna have this over six, almost 70% of pastors feel frequently overwhelmed. And I'm wondering about the other 30, 40% that are lying about it. (laughs) Right. Cause it's like, if you've been in ministry more than 20 minutes, you're going to get overwhelmed. And yeah. so my first my first pastor was in South San Antonio, and I, fortunately, a couple of weeks ago, I got to preach there and saw some mm-hmm. people I hadn't seen in a while, including some pastors that were preaching. They got ca- saved and called to ministry during that, that time. Wow. And I was in my early 20s, and I was going to seminary at one of the uh, Southwestern Extensions on Monday and then pastoring the other six days. And honestly, uh, I remember the taste of the concrete when I finally hit the wall because it's like, Hey, I thought I could do it. Oh, and I got, I got married that my first year pastor and I married that year was taking second year Greek pastor in my first church and taking a few other classes. Mm. And, um, so that was my first experience. And then the, the second pastor, it was a church plant after I graduated, um, from Southwestern planted a church in Northeast Tennessee and was there for 10 years. And again, you know, I had to be reminded through failure that I was not created any different, even though some of us are more driven than others. We have a hard time hearing um, or practicing the word stop, <laughs> which is yeah. also happened to me. You know, we, we preach a, we preach a strong game, but stopping's hard for us. We love what we do. And so, um, but it wasn't until the third pastorate, uh, 20 years in the ministry, and this was in Arkansas, in Conway, Arkansas, in the middle of a relocation, 
hi, uh, you know, I got in a ditch. Honestly, nobody knew I was in the ditch because uh, most pastors have an on button, you know. Mm. And so we can turn it on and it, it wasn't, I mean, nothing scandals happened, but I was just, I I got stuck. Everybody gets tired down. Everybody has bad seasons and good seasons. But if you're stuck in a season, that's a good time to ask for help. Yeah. And it was 20 years ago when I asked my doctor, uh, my, my family doctor, who was also a member of my church, been on a couple of mission trips to China with him. We were roommates in those trips. And, and um, we just visited over coffee, asked me questions that doctors ask. And um, he said, well, you know, this is not uncommon for somebody in their early 40s that are driven like you, but you're clinically depressed. And explain what that meant. I mean, I took a counseling class at seminary, but that didn't make me a counselor, you know. I was <laughs> right. like, I don't, you know, we're in the middle of a relocation. Uh, I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, right. And I don't have time to be depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Man. Let's let's get this let's get this fixed. Uh, at least, you know, what, what's it going to take? A couple weeks? A couple months? What What do you need to do? You know, that's what doers do. Yeah. Um, and and in that process, I did get uh, um, some help that I needed because you know, this was a, a preventable in my case. There's so many levels of depression. And even on my staff, there was some, you know, there was one bipolar and yet 10 years younger than me who committed suicide. And another was mm-hmm. chronic depression who dealt with it his whole life. And um, had, uh, in fact, he was a student pastor and they were dealing with depression in a different way. But re- it, it, the fact is we had we let people help us. Um, in, phys- in, the, in the physical health or mental health or spiritual health relational health and in the case of Godstone financial health because uh we all have different things that you know obstacles that we deal with we don't deal with the same exact obstacles blind spots yeah but for for a minister regardless of what it says on your business card or org chart you are a pastor you said yes to God's call to ministry um you have the same the, the same call to uh, pay attention to your life and not just your flock, not just scripture, which that that's very clear in scripture. But Paul told Timothy twice to pay attention to his life. Uh, once was in Acts 20. He said, I'll never see you again. Uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem and eventually Rome. And the last thing I want you to know, I want to finish the race that God's called me. And, and I want you to pay attention to your life first and your flock. And then he wrote follow-up letters, First and Second Timothy, in First Timothy four sixteen. He said, "Pay close attention to your life again first and your teaching." Or some of the inferior translations say doctrine. But you know, <laughs> when when I went to seminary, you know, those seminaries you mentioned that uh, I learned a lot about paying attention to my flock and my doctrine, but not a lot about my life. And so that's why I wrote the book. I want to deal with life issues through the lens of the great commandments so that they not just endure ministry, but in, enjoy it. And then the people around them enjoy it as well. Yeah. Mark, why do you think pastors in particular struggle in asking for help? I think I think it's just naturally there's uh, 
there's a couple of things. Uh, uh, most, those of us who are men have a Y chromosome. So let's just call that one out there. That makes it, that makes it harder for us. We don't like to ask for directions or help. We want to fix things. And there are lots of exceptions, but that's one challenge. The other is we are caregivers. Caregivers like to take care of others. We're not, sometimes we're uncomfortable in, in reciprocating. Mm. But, but I will, I will say this because probably most of the people that are listening to this are young, younger ministers. I'm 58. So let me just say that I am so proud of you as a generation. You get a lot of grief about stuff, but you are less reluctant to ask for help than the generation um, in front of you. Yeah. So you're not afraid to talk about mental health or physical health or financial health. You don't blush and, and, and flinch like those that are older do. And so if you just see it as a normal part of health, and that is, that's part of the reason, for, you know, mental health claims have gone up 40% in the last three years at Guidestone alone. Hmm. 40%. That's, that is wild to think about. It is. And some people, you know, push a panic button and go, well, must have been COVID killed all the pastors and they all ran off. No, they didn't all run off. And Lifeway has been great about keeping those attrition facts, you know, on the table. (laughs) We're not leaving in droves, never have been. But, you know, yeah, COVID was hard. The politics, social stuff, all that's hard. However, I think part of the part of the reason mental health claims have gone up, not just at Guidestone is because younger ministers are less reluctant to ask for help. And so I I want to take this opportunity to commend those of you who do ask for help and to extend that to other areas that are awkward. Like if your, your marriage hits a, a rough spot, ask for help. If, if, um, you know, if you're having trouble, uh, managing your, your money, or your time, whatever. God's put people around you that are more proficient at you than you are at many things. That's the body of Christ, our interdependent nature, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're rarely actually going to be the most proficient person in the room, but you'll always be the most responsible person in the room. And so we can't say, well, I didn't learn that at seminary. I didn't learn that at college. Uh, because twice in our job description, twice in First Timothy three, it tells us to manage our lives and manage our families, or we're not even qualified to manage God. So manage means lead, take responsibility for it, and let people help you in areas that you're probably never going to be good at. Hmm. I love the way to think about it that you, you're probably not going to be the most proficient, but you'll always be the most responsible, and that responsibility almost dictates that we or necessitates the need for us to reach out and to find the most proficient people at the things that we, we are not proficient about. There's, uh, there's something very much like equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. (laughs) That's a part of that. It sounds very pastoral. Um, Mark, I know you've been doing, uh, marriage conferences for several years now. Um, something you and you and your wife love doing, enjoy doing, you travel all over the place and, and do those. For pastors specifically, now I know that uh, that not all of our audience is married kids. There is a wide spectrum of people who uh, are are in different stages of family who are our audience. Um, 
But what would you say, um, having done this for a long time yourself and leading in the spaces you have from a marriage conference setting, what are the specific landmines that you see for pastoral husband and wife, for somebody who's called to the ministry and their spouse walking through it? What are some of the, the most common landmines that you've seen cause problems for people? A great question. I, I love that question. And I didn't get these in advance. So this is raw and I love it that way. I prefer <laughs> it that way. <clears throat> and yeah, if you ask a guy who's done a hundred marriage events and marriage question, he shouldn't be shy or, uh, <laughs> but we, we, we're, um, first of all, uh, almost every marriage challenge is not unique to the ministry. We're dealing with the same stuff. The people in the pews are. It's a good one. Um, but, the difference is our spouse is in our job description and there's no other profession on the planet that requires that you succeed both at work and home. And mm. I'll call that out at every marriage event that we do is in that that brings a little tension, but then you have to bring the relief of scriptures also not asking for perfectionism here. Um, but you're not going to be in a constant state of revival. That's in season, out of season. You're also not going to be in a constant state of honeymoon. So the first big challenge are the right sizing the expectations of your marriage. And so a, a ministry marriage is not going to have less challenges. And I don't think significantly more challenges unless you put them there. Again, if mm -hmm. you're if you're if I'm ta talking to a guy, whether you're married or you want to be married, still going to apply to you at, at some point. Um, you're more responsible than she is. If I read scripture right. OK, so. There's no 50-50 in marriage, uh, according to scripture. You're, you're tagged, you're it. So in, if there's a problem, um, the biggest problem is, is, is uh, listening. Listening. Because as, in, as ministry leaders, most of us speak for a living. Which, uh, so that's natural for us to talk and less natural for us to listen, right? And I'm using, you know, broad, there are lots of exceptions out there. But but if I were to tell a, a, that 22 year old that was walking into become a pastor, uh, you know, one of those conversations what we tell a younger self yeah. would be just talk less, listen more, do it at mm. home, do it at church, do it at the restaurant, you know, just listen better, be an active listener. And somewhere the most yakety loudmouth disciple learned that because he's the one that gives us that that sage advice to love your wife in an understanding way, you know, thanks, Peter, you learned that along the way, you know, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, that didn't come to him automatically. And so there's, yeah. there's room for us to grow in the area of listening. Uh, the other big challenge would be time management. That's one of those things that pastors gripe about, but don't do anything about, you know, they like to brag about how busy they are and overcommitted they are. And all I hear is uh, you're not managing your life well. So you mm -hmm. have to, you have to prioritize your relationships. And that's, that's why I, I encourage pastors, ministry leaders, missionaries to, to aspire to be great commandment ministers. Uh, all great commandment ministers are, are going to be great commission ministers. Cause you love God. You're going to love your neighbors, right? Uh, yeah. but if you just love your neighbors, you're, you're, you're a fantastic humanist. And, and what that looks like in my house is today, my day started with Jesus. It's simple. First love, he comes first. First and greatest. It's not, it's not rocket science. 
Uh, second on the list is Janet. Those are my top two loves. And she gets second place. And even from the beginning of the scripture, Genesis 2, it, it tells us, break up with your parents. You want a good marriage? Break up with your parents. And um, so that's the first demotion in your life, leaving your mom and dad. Then you have kids, and they need a lot of time and attention. It's harder to grow your marriage during that time. But at some point, you have to also demote your kids. If if mm. if your first love and second love keep their place as that king and queen, and then you get a ministry. And, minis- you know, ministry is messy. But now, I mean, people can get they can they can get hold of us in a, so many different ways. Yeah, and they're not trying to mess up our our marriage, but we have to be able to manage um, those expectations from church members, and in doing so, by letting making them wait, right, or not calling them back at that time, or or messaging them back, we're actually discipling them, and we're discipling our kids and telling them how to practically live out God's pecking order for their life. And honestly, that's what Start to Finish is all about. It's built on the great commandment, both commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Neighbor means nearest one. So you start with the closest one is is next pillow, right? And for Mm -hmm. 20 years, um, I had a daughter and a son until they became squatters. And then they went to college. And now in this stage of life, our parents need us more than our kids. But I also want to know the neighbors in my neighborhood. So I've met the, I know who lives right here in this subdivision by name. And then, you know, uh, ends, it goes to the ends of the earth. But there is a, a bit of a concentric circle there that takes discipline because people will cut in line and that that will erode your marriage probably worse than anything. So I have I have a couple of things I want to come back to from, okay. your, uh, from what you were saying. Um, let's put a mark in the neighbors because I do want to ask about that. Okay. Uh, um, because I, I have a hunch, not all, but I have a hunch that many minister well in the church setting or in the community. And then when they drive home, the tendency is just to pull in the garage, shut the door and exhale and not yes. not know the subdivision like you mentioned so i, I want to come back to that okay. but i want to ask you a question that uh that comes up a lot as we are uh, I, I want you to counsel us for a second mark so put <laughs> put your 27 years of pastoral ministry hat on and um you've led a lot of student pastors over your years um as in in, in pastor and churches how can uh, a youth pastor think about you're sitting across the table at coffee with newly married young student pastor. And they ask you the question, how can I show my family that they are the number one priority and that I am, I'm leading well there and investing well there and not make it look like, I'm neglecting the ministry. Yeah. How, how, how can I, how can I hold the ministry and God's call to a high priority in my life and still care and give the number one, number two spot where they belong? Yeah. That's a fantastic question. And it, it's, um, what I'm about to say is, is not complicated, but it's not easy either. Mm. But, uh, just, 
the one word I would use is access. You've got to limit access because you, you know, in many ways you're, you're, you want that lost kid to reach out to you. I mean, it's like, it's game on. Finally, they reached out to me or that, that leader you've been developing is just, you know, discovered a verse that as if they'd never heard it before and they wanted to share it with you. And I mean, it's, it's like good things. And then you've got uh, everyone, your church members, teenagers, uh, no exception, have a hard time uh, actually defining what a real emergency is. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> That's yes. That is 100% true. <laughs> so, so again, if you see this not as neglecting your people, but discipling your people, then you actually can come back later. And it might even be a pain point where they're like, you know, where we're because pastors in general, student pastors, no exception. They like the they like the attention that and the applause that comes with you were there for me, you know, or that 24 sure. seven thing. Yeah. You know, it's like that's that's poor discipleship. However, the people who share your name, they need a different level of access. So, um, and, and I'm not saying that you, mm. you can't disciple your, your children as well to say, uh, to put some boundaries there, right. And help them determine what, it, uh, because I think so, there are extremes where you're like, Hey, anytime the phone rings and it's you, I'm going to answer it, you know, have, have a system. Have a system. So, for example, in my family, uh, if I get two calls in a row or an emergency text, you know, two in a row, that's an emergency. That's like, okay, I'm dropping everything. Um, If it's not time sensitive, well, they don't know that I'm about to lead somebody to the Lord or help somebody from jumping off a marriage cliff or something like that. And so you disciple them by saying, you know, this is this is how you work responsibly, and that you 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 kind of show them that work life balance, or at least your attempt uh, to do it, and it kind of pays off. I mean, I remember the first time that my wife Janet was talking to our daughter, who was married, and they were on the phone, and her husband got home, and she just totally dumped my wife. She said, "Brandon's home, gotta go," and. Janet hung up from that with a big smile on her face. It's like, it worked. (laughs) (laughs) We just got demoted, man. You know, this is what we want. This is what we want. And student pastors, you you pastor the two toughest generations in in your church, in my opinion. Mm. Those two, I mean, you could, if you can pastor teenagers and their parents, you could pastor anybody. Those are the two hardest generations. And they want what they want, what they want, when they want it. And, and of course we'd all like applause and nobody wants criticism, but make sure that your whoever your super, direct supervisor is, uh, knows your priorities. You, they don't have to agree with them. You answer to God for your life management. But, um, the fact is if they don't agree, then they're probably struggling in the same areas. Hmm. I love thinking about that, uh, in terms of, of access in that your people that, like you said, share your name should have a different level of access than, than everyone else does. And it's interesting, Mark, because like I've been in student ministry in some level now more than 20 and coming up, it was 
to be a great student pastor, open home all the time, open phone all the time. Oh, like go to all the things, all the games, all the plays, all the music concerts, all, all the graduations. Like it, it max access was one of the things that was taught to my generation of student pastors coming up. Like that's the way you win. And so I, I think that's why it resonates with me so much that, that that's the way you decided to frame up the answer there is that like, let's talk about it in terms of access and that it's a discipleship of your people in showing them what a biblical model looks like. I really appreciate the thought there. Hopefully I, I know that there's going to be some people listening to that, that, that something clicks for them. The light bulb comes on a little bit. Well, I hope um, they heard it with the grace because, yeah, you know, you're going to need to practice the grace you preach on yourself because sometimes you will uh, mess that up, of course. And sure, you, you, it's, it's the struggle's real. <laughs> yeah. And there will be times when a family in the church where emergency does happen and disaster does happen. That's right. And you go. You, That's right. You get off the couch or out of the house and you, you go to those people. Yes. Um, but like you said, the the emergencies are defined differently for, for people. Not everybody knows exactly what an emergency is sometimes. Um, I want to come back to the neighbors because uh, I know that's a uh, specifically significant part of the book. Um, would love for, to hear you talk about why pastors need to prioritize neighbors. Uh, you, you said it's, it means the nearest people, the nearest ones. Yeah. Um, talk about the importance of, of neighbors. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm a, I'm pretty much a concrete thinker. Um, so in, in Hebrews especially is very written in concrete. So Sabbath means stop, you know, day means day. So we don't have to, you know, <laughs> we don't have to like, okay, what does this really mean? Um, but, Neighbor means nearest one. And uh, I believe it was in Luke's version of the conversation about the Great Commandment, where the follow-up question from the scribe, who was well-meaning, according to Mark's version, he wasn't trying to trap Jesus like some of some of them. And um, he said, who's my neighbor? And that's where the parable of the Good Samaritan came from, is to answer that question based on you know, the elaboration of of the second commandment, but the second commandment didn't just come out of the air, come off the top of Jesus head, it came out of Leviticus 19 and in Leviticus 19. And there's a lot said about that's where to love your neighbor came from. And in that chapter, you have, uh, how you do that with your parents, your parents are, you're, I mean, there's calling out people in your family. It's also calling out people that aren't your family. And so proximity for me, the way I've tried to apply that is when I move somewhere, I will literally try to, over time, in a non-creepy way, introduce myself to every neighbor whose door I can see from my door. Mm-hmm. And so when they drive in, they went out like, hey, my name's Mark, whatever, and not, you know, not going for the phone number right away, but eventually you get to know them. And I can tell you not only my neighbor's names, who are from Denmark over here, but I can tell you their the their parents' names, you know, one of them who's struggling with cancer in Copenhagen right now. And and then on the other side, you know, with two little kids and, and I get to know your neighbors 
It's not easy. I mean, that first church in San Antonio, I was the only white dude on the block. It wasn't transitioning. It was, you know, South San Antonio is completely Hispanic and I'm not. So learning my name, to know my neighbors wasn't that hard. Uh, you just talk to people. Yeah. Now I live in a, but uh, in Frisco, a third is Asian, mostly uh, Indian. Um, and so learning to give my neighbors that here is a little more difficult. I mean, because these are Brahmins and it's just, uh, you're not getting a lot of smiles and nods and hugs around here, <laughs> but uh, it, wherever God's placed me and placed Janet. And I tell you, this really got personal in, in Hendersonville there in, in Metro Nashville. When we worked at life, when I worked at Lifeway, a guy named Bill was ne- next door neighbor. And um, Bill asked me, uh, I had a cherry uh, tree that uh, was struck by lightning. Um, and he asked for some wood for it. So I, so I got a chainsaw and I gave him some wood. And he just got in this lathe to do pins. You know, those are people that like to make pins. Yeah. And he's about my age, started to do that. And uh, I was, I was, Janet and I were giving our neighbors poinsettias for Christmas. We were just walking over Merry Christmas type thing. The next day, Bill brings me his first pin made out of the cherry tree in my yard. Mm. Bill knew then that he wouldn't make many pins because he had Parkinson's. Mm. And when we moved from that neighborhood, Bill and I went to, um, you know, a football game together and he could barely walk. He couldn't control his movements well. And that pin means so much to me, but the initiative is not on the neighbors to get to know us. It's not, you know, for us, we would have every now and then we'd have a neighborhood party, just a barbecue or we, you know, marshmallows in the backyard we don't have to do an open house or you know they they've got their own house their own bathrooms you know little things um but you can't love your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors Mm. so just and some of them are going to be harder to live with than others and that's just normal yeah mark if you had to boil down like the big takeaway what do you hope a young young pastor sits down with your book and begins to read it. What do you hope by the end of it has, has been imprinted on them? Yeah. I, my, my hope is that they will have the relationships in a clear order of priority hmm. because a resilient pastor who will finish well will look like our mutual friend david francis a perfect example when Mm. he did his last thing remember at ridgecrest and eric honored him david had served the lord with gladness at lifeway and 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 he was uh also had parkinson's but his wife sitting next to him hearing his boss talk about how you know how many ways he'd serve the Lord, have his friends around there. It's like, this is what a strong finish looks like to be in love with Jesus still to be in love with your wife, have your testimony intact. And, and, and honestly to be healthy in all 
the ways the scripture describes it, that you have taken care as best your ability, your body, you know, strength means strength. It's a, you know, every, every decision is a spiritual decision. So how, how you finish later and what you do, not just to retirement, but through retirement has to do with what you're doing now, which is why it's so important to be on your podcast is because what you're doing now will, will affect how you finish later on and who you will be able to minister to um, later on. Well, the book is called Start to Finish, The Pastor's Guide to Leading a Resilient Life and Ministry. It's by Mark Dance. Mark, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. I've enjoyed hearing from you, learning from you, and I know I know the audience has as well. So go check out the book, Start to Finish, by Mark Dance. Thank it you. is available as of today. So congratulations on release day also. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Nathan. God bless you guys. This has been another episode of the Student Ministry Podcast by LifeWay. Bye, everybody.